Roll on, thou deep and dark blue ocean, roll. Ten thousand fleets sweep over thee in vain. Man marks the earth with ruin, his control stops with the shore. Upon the watery grave thou, thou steps are all thine own. Nor doth remain a shadow of man's ravage save his own, when for a moment like a drop of rain he sinks into thy depths with bubbling groan. Uncoffined and unmelled and unknown. His steps are not upon thy paths, thy fields are not a spoil for him. Thou dost arise and shake him from thee. The vile strength man wills for earth's destruction, thou dost all despise, spurning him from thy bosom from to the skies, and sendest him shivering in thy playful spray and howling to his gods where haply lies his petty hope in some near port or bay and dashest him again to earth there let him lay Can you imagine yourself on a boat, a wooden ship, in the middle of the sea? No modern technology, no GPS, no EPIRB, no life jackets, no phone reception. You're heading into a storm. What are you thinking right about now? What am I doing here? Was this the right decision? Oh, I'm glad I can swim. Was that a shark? By this point, Paul's ship, which he was a prisoner on, was taking him across the Mediterranean from Jerusalem to Rome and was heading into a big storm. For two weeks, in fact, two weeks, they would float along at the mercy of the wind and the waves because it was too strong to fight. Until they ran aground on the island of Malta and they had to grab pieces of the ship and, and swim to shore, where for three months, they waited until another ship came past to collect them, to take them to their next place. That was what travel was like for Paul. If you're anything like me, you're probably pretty glad right about now for airplanes, for cruise ships, <laughs> trains, buses, cars, anything other than <laughs> we come to our fourth and final installment in our Paul series, Paul, a portrait of Paul. And we've been looking at his life in more depth, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote a whole chunk of the New Testament of the Bible, which is why it's so important 
to understand the man. You see, it's important to understand the author if we're going to properly understand his writings. And we all want to understand his writings better, don't we? Yes. So we've been looking at the story of Paul. Now, for those who've missed a few weeks or, or, um, or are just joining us this morning for the first time, we started off looking at a man named Saul. Saul was a Jewish um, religious leader called a Pharisee who was passionate about what he did. His job was to protect the laws found in the Old Testament of the Bible. His job was to make sure that other Jews adhered to these laws. And in fact, he was so passionate about this. He was so passionate about his way of life, his tradition, that he, would, he wanted to eliminate any threat to that. Eliminate any threat. And so, and so he would actually go and, and round up Christians. Um, this new movement called The Way, Followers of Jesus. And he'd round them up and he'd um, interrogate them. And, and some of them even were executed um, with his permission. But then we discovered that literally on the road to a city called Damascus, as he is going to round up more Christians, Jesus himself meets him in the road. And it's this incredible moment, this transforming moment, this vision, the light so bright that he is physically blinded. And his his helpers, his aides, take him to, into Damascus to a Christian man named Ananias. And Ananias prays for Saul. Saul receives his sight back and believes in Jesus for the first time and is baptised. What can't be underestimated at this point is the symbolism of Saul's blindness. You see, while he was physically blind, he was also spiritually blind. You see, everything that he had learnt, everything that he had taught and practised his entire life was to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the same God that we worship today. However, he was spiritually blind to the idea that Jesus was the Messiah that God had promised, that he had been waiting for all this time. And as Ananias prayed for Saul, and Saul received his physical sight. He also received spiritual sight for the very first time. He could finally see that Jesus is the Messiah, the loved one of God sent to save people. When you understand something like that, though, and that is different to everything you've ever known and everything you've ever learned... That takes time to process. And so last week we learned that there's a a moment in Paul's life where he kind of goes off grid for a while. 10 to 13 years, we think he goes off grid and what he's doing is he's reforming himself. He's renewing his mind. He goes back and, and looks at everything he ever knew and everything he ever learnt, but this time through the lens of Jesus being God's Messiah. In fact, later on in a letter to the church in Rome, he would say, he would encourage everybody to be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. And this is what Saul went through in that 10 to 13 years. He was, he was transforming his heart, transforming his life by renewing his mind, about, well, by thinking about things differently. He didn't have to discard everything he knew. He didn't have to throw out everything that he'd ever learnt and start again. In fact, he went and he saw everything through a new lens, the lens of Jesus. I wonder if you can relate to any of those points in Saul's journey. Which brings us to this week. This week, um, I have the pleasure of wrapping up our series in Paul, on Paul, and, and I have everything else. <laughs> so I have the rest of his life, the rest of his ministry, the rest of his mission, uh, and so um, we've taken the liberty to extend the service this morning. Um, we'll be wrapping up about 8 p.m. Um, tonight, if that's okay, just send a message to those who you're having lunch with, uh, invite them to come in because we're going to be here all afternoon. No, not really. What we're going to do is we're going to have a look at the summary of the rest of Paul's life, uh, and we're going to have a look at uh, something that I used to do in high school, and maybe they still do, um, but when we look at uh, stories or news articles or something, we always looked at the who, what, when, where, why, and how of the story. And so that's what we're going to do this morning with the story of Paul. We're going to look through these and see what we can learn. So firstly, the who. That's pretty easy, of course. We're looking at the Apostle Paul, a man who wrote a large amount of the New Testament of our Bible that we rely on today to to teach us in the way that we should live when it comes to Jesus' teachings and the church and, and all that sort of thing. But probably more importantly, Paul knew the who. Paul knew the who. He knew who God had sent him to. You see, if we cycle back to when Ananias prayed for Saul... God had actually told Ananias who Saul would be sent to. It's in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. It says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul knew the who that he had been sent to. He'd been sent to the Gentiles, so the non-Jewish people of the time. He'd been sent to the kings of these people, um, leaders, political leaders of these people. And then there'd be a few Jews that he would speak to as well. But he was largely speaking to Gentiles. Paul knew the who. Secondly, the what. The what is Paul's message. Paul's message was this. The kingdom of the living God is here, there's a brand new kingdom. Jesus is the king of this new kingdom. There's a new king. This is the way that we should live in this new kingdom. This is what it looks like to live in this new kingdom. And anybody can be a part of this kingdom if they choose to be. Anybody at all. He says it doesn't matter whether you're a slave or a free or Greek, or Jew, or old, or young, or healthy, or unhealthy, or wealthy, or poor, or whatever you are. 
you can be a part of this kingdom if you choose to be. Now, that was the message of Paul. That's the what. Now, the kingdom of God is such a huge topic. I spent a long time um, in my theology degree studying the kingdom of God and what that means. We talk about it a lot. There's heaps of books being written on it, and it's a very uh, big kind of subject, and we don't really understand it that well a lot of the time. So, uh, what we've decided to do is actually we're going to start a whole new series on the kingdom of God called Upside Down Kingdom the week after Father's Day as a bit of a follow-on from this series. So I'm not going to go into that too much this morning, um, but I will invite you back in a couple of weeks to hear more about the kingdom of God in a couple of weeks' time. So we know the who and the what. Next is the when. So by the time Paul started his first missionary journey. We think he was about his early to mid-40s. And over the course of the next 20 years, he'd go on four major missionary journeys, which takes us to about 60 to 65 AD. So that's the time. Very soon after the life of Jesus, actually. Now the where. There are heaps of maps that you can look up, which um, show Paul's missionary journeys. And I've got one here for you on the screen, um, which you might not be able to see very clearly. It's got all four of his journeys there. Um, You can look up any online in your own time if you'd like to look into it a bit more detail. But essentially, he went on four major journeys, the first three of which were kind of round trips, I suppose, from a city called Antioch, which was his kind of base. And then the fourth was more of a one-way ticket. Uh, And he kind of knew this, actually. He was going from Jerusalem uh, to Rome, and he was hoping to get all the way to Spain, but didn't quite get there. His trip uh, and his ministry and his his life finished in Rome. Now, I don't know about you, but often when I've been thinking about Paul's journeys and, and the places that he went to and the churches that he wrote to and all that sort of thing, I sometimes wonder why Paul would choose those places? Was it just random? Was it just walking along and decide to drop anchor and start a church here? Or or was there a bit more of a a strategy involved? Well, there are three probable reasons why Paul would choose the cities that he chose. First of all, he was a Roman citizen. And, And all these cities that he went to or started churches in were on the vast network of Roman roads and and shipping routes and that sort of thing. So being a Roman citizen, he had kind of um, like a visa, what we might call a visa, and basically the permission and ability to freely go on all these network of roads. So it was very easy for him to travel around these particular areas. Secondly, these cities were um, often major trade routes, So there was a lot of people coming into these places and a lot of people coming out from a lot of other places throughout the empire. So by setting up a a church in one of these cities, he would be able to hopefully preach the good news of Jesus to a lot of people coming in from all different places and they would hopefully believe this good news and then go out and take it home with them, and it would spread far and wide. And so there's a bit of a strategy involved with exposure to the most amount of people possible and and being able to grow this movement um, as quickly and as far as possible. And thirdly, these cities were 
very important religious and political cities. Now, back in, back in Paul's day, politics and religion were pretty much the same thing, because <laughs> a lot of the political leaders of the time were actually worshipped as gods. So Caesar, Emperor Nero at the time, the same Nero that kind of burnt half of Rome to the ground and threw Christians to the lions and all that sort of thing. Um, apparently, apart from Christians, everyone else loved him and worshipped him. Um, and he would set up statues um, in these places and shrines and temples to worship him and even of his family members and, and other leaders, political leaders, um, Greek gods and that sort of thing. And in all these cities, they had um, that kind of um, importance in the religious and political um, area. Now, why would Paul choose to go into these particular cities? Well, remember what his message was. Remember the what. His message was that there's a new kingdom, and it's not Rome. There's a new king, and it's not Caesar, it's Jesus. There's a new way of living as part of this kingdom, but it looks quite different to the way that everybody lives at the moment. And anyone can be a part of this new kingdom, and you don't have to be a part of the elite. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have important position or title. You don't have to be born into the right family. You don't have to be... a Man, You don't have to be any kind of anything. You can be anyone and anything can be a part of this kingdom. So to preach and proclaim this message in the cities that he did had profound impact. Modern theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way. I love this. He says, Connecting the dots of Paul's journey is like mapping a royal procession through Caesar's heartland. It's almost as if Paul went through the most important cities of Caesar's kingdom and alongside him was he was bringing the new king, announcing the new king Jesus into all these important cities. When you realise this, then it's not that surprising that his preaching caused riots in the streets <laughs> and people got really upset and he was arrested several times and flogged and beaten and tried to be killed and etc etc it's not that surprising when you realize the message that he preached and the places that he chose to do it so we know the who the what the when the where now the why the why is actually pretty simple. Paul had a mission. In fact, Paul had a new mission. He had had a mission, but the old mission was to protect the laws of the Hebrews and the, the Jews and um, to make sure people adhered to those laws and to protect it at any cost. But when he met Jesus, Jesus gave him a brand new mission. In fact, it was the same mission that Jesus gave his disciples and it's the same mission that he gives to each and every one of us who call ourselves his followers. This can be found in Matthew 28, and many of us will have heard this before. 
It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, a little hint to a new kingdom and a new king. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. This was his new mission, and he took it seriously. He took it literally. He went into all the world that they knew of at the time, the entire Roman Empire. That was their world. He took it into the world. He took it seriously. And he dedicated the rest of his life to the mission that Jesus had given him. I wonder how many of us have dedicated our lives to the mission that Jesus has given us. Whether that's in our lives, as in our workplace, in our families, in our friendship groups, in our schools, wherever that may be. Finally, the how. Paul started with common ground. Paul started with common ground. Let me explain. He, he wrote... Um, to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. He said, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. The thing with Paul is that he didn't just preach this. He didn't just teach this. He actually did it. He actually demonstrated it. And I think the most obvious example of that is actually in his name. You see, we started off his life talking about the man Saul, and today we're talking about the man Paul. It's the same person. And contrary, perhaps, to popular belief, Jesus didn't change his name. At some point, he decided to change his name. Why did he do that? Common ground. You see, Saul was his Hebrew name. Saul was the name that he was proud of as a Jewish Pharisee. He was named after the first king of Israel. That meant a lot to him. But he went away after meeting Jesus and renewed his mind. He saw everything through the new eyes of Jesus. He had to relook at everything in his life and assess how has this changed for me. He knew the who that he was going to be sent to. He knew that the who, being Gentiles, non-Jews, might find it confusing to be taught by someone with a Hebrew name. Maybe they would find it harder to connect with somebody with a Hebrew name. And so he decided to change his name to the Greek version of his name, Paul so that he would have common ground with the people that he'd been sent to share this great message with. Common ground. You see, Christians don't have to be weird. <laughs> we don't have to be weird. Our message is different. The kingdom that we're a part of is different. Hopefully the way that we live is different, but we don't have to be weird. We can find common ground with the people that Jesus has sent us to share his love with.
Once he established common ground, Paul could get to work, and uh, he would proclaim this good news of the kingdom. Um, Another word for proclaiming is preaching. And uh, so he would preach the good news in these cities that he'd chosen, and hopefully once um, people had come around and, and started believing this great new message, he would form little communities and foster those communities and they would um, grow together. He would continue to teach them. Eventually, they'd been, they would become known as churches. And they would look after each other and live in community with each other. And uh, all at the same time, Paul would identify and train and mentor new leaders coming through. And, and these new leaders would take over when he was ready to move on to the next place and start all over again. And every now and again, he would write letters back to the churches, these little communities that he had started. And he'd be responding to questions that they had or helping them through complex issues that they were facing or just encouraging them when times got tough or even correcting them when they started going on the wrong course. Eventually, the same man that was so passionate about eliminating the threat of this new movement that he was actually present at the execution of some Christians this same man would actually turn out to be one of the most pivotal people in the history of the entire church. How's that for transformation? I wonder where in Paul's story you can identify yourself with. Are you just exploring as a soul kind of guy? Maybe... Maybe you've had your own beliefs and maybe you're on the search for something else. Maybe you don't even know what you're looking for, but maybe you're just interested in finding out more. Maybe you can identify with Saul's kind of new Christian part of his life where he'd just recently become, become aware that Jesus is God's son, sent to save him. Maybe um, you're in the growing Christian part of his life, where, where you're in the process of reforming yourself based on this new revelation that Jesus is God. Maybe, maybe you're in the process of renewing your mind, being transformed with your mind being renewed. Maybe you're in the process of seeing everything differently now through the lens of Jesus, seeing your family members through the eyes of Jesus, seeing your friends, your colleagues, your schoolmates through the eyes of Jesus, your workplace, your career, through the eyes of Jesus. I wonder if you can identify with that part of Saul's life. Wherever you can identify yourself in this journey, can I encourage you, we, we have tools to help you. We have tools to help you in, in any of those parts of life. If you're interested to learn more about that, about move, moving on into the next stage, of your journey, we would love to help you with that, come alongside you, support you with that. So feel free to see me after the service or um, one of the other people at the front or even the welcome desk, and we've got plenty of options for you to keep moving. But finally, as we wrap up this whole series, I wanted to kind of pose a bit of a question to all the followers of Jesus that we have in the room, which are many of us. Paul knew his who, what, when, where, why, and how. I wonder how clear 
are you on your who? Do you know who it is that God wants you to go and share his good news with? Are you clear on the who? Do you know your what? Do you know the message that you have to share? This amazing message about the kingdom of God, about the love of Jesus. Do you know the when? Do you understand the times that you live? The unique moment in history that God has placed you for such a time as this. Do you know the when? Do you know the where? Do you understand the place, the culture that God has uniquely put you in today? The place that you live, the school that you're a part of, the workplace that you're in. Do you know the where? Do you understand that? Do you understand the why? Do you know the why? Have you accepted the why? Have you dedicated your life to the why? That great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. And do you know how? Do you have a plan? Can you find common ground with people? That's such a great place to start, isn't it? I think all relationships start with common ground, but quite often we're not so deliberate about looking for that common ground with people. We're happy to just chance it and discover that with some people and not discover it with others. But are you intentional about looking for common ground with others to start a relationship, to build a friendship? which might develop into an opportunity that you can invite someone to church or to a, uh, an event, maybe just speak into their lives somehow at a deeper level. But it starts with common ground. Are you deliberate in finding common ground? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the life of Paul. Thank you for your word, the Bible an incredible source of wisdom and guidance for our lives. Thank you for the mission you have placed before each of us. Thank you for your presence in our lives and your help along the way. Help us to keep getting better. Help us to be more alert to your mission in our lives, how to live it out every day. It's in your wonderful name that we pray these things. Amen.